Father, we are grateful for the living Christ and also the written Christ. And as we interact with a portion of your word this morning, we want to be attentive. We want to be applying your word in our thinking, our beliefs, our motives, our attitudes, our words, and our actions. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Bill and Carol have three children. And in the process of seeking to train their children, they give some instruction, some guidance, some teaching. And one area of life that they've been seeking to teach and train their children is just in the use of money. And they basically taught their children to save some money, to give to the Lord, and to spend some money. And in order that the kids don't merely hear it, They've allowed their children to have some money. And as they move into the teen years, rather than buying the clothes for their children and so on, they have actually given some money to the children and say, now it's up to you to figure out how to use the money in light of what we're teaching and training you. They also have been seeking to teach their children to work. And they talk about the fact that work is not part of the curse Work was present in the world before the curse as part of reflecting the image of God. And they talk about work, but they don't stop with that. They also have been giving responsibilities to their children as they grow up. And by the time they're teenagers, there's some things that they don't even tell their kids to do anymore. It's expected that the kids follow through because they want them to be doing what they're taught. They've been teaching their children how to study scripture. As a family, they've been taking some time to read scripture and discuss scripture. And they encourage the kids to be thinking and reading and studying scripture for themselves. But in order that it doesn't merely go in one ear and out the other, in their time together as a family, they've been giving their teenage children an opportunity to actually teach scripture on any given evening. That stands in contrast to another couple Butch and Shirley, who also have three children. They've been bombarding their children with about money and how to handle money, and they've been telling them over and over again, but they've never given them opportunity to handle their own money. They've been teaching their children how to work. They bombard them verbally with lesson after lesson about how to work but they don't give them any responsibility in the area of work. Anytime they are assigned something to do, they're told exactly what to do and how to do it, and they're checked up to the nth degree. They're also told over and over again by their parents about the importance of studying the Bible, and the parents over and over tell them to study the Bible, but they never give them opportunity to share what they're learning to actually teach the family. two different paths and it will impact for life. Which path did Jesus take? Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 6 reading together the middle of verse 6 through the verse 13. Mark 6 beginning with the middle of verse 6. Mark 6, then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. 
Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. In this very brief narrative, we find that the 12 have been with Jesus by this time probably about a year. They have seen him minister in various aspects of his ministry. They saw him heal, preach, teach, cast out demons. Now it's time for a shift in what is taking place. And as we think about this shift, please keep in mind that the being, the character, the identity of Jesus Christ is foundational to what he did in teaching, what he did in preaching and casting out demons, what he did on the cross and the resurrection. The identity, the character, the being of Jesus is foundational to his action. Being precedes doing. Character precedes action. Identity precedes ministry. Keep in mind to illustrate that, that we used the wall of Babylon from years ago, some 300 feet high, but dug 35 feet below ground level. That becoming the foundation, being the identity, the being, the character of Jesus Christ, his words, his actions, his healing, his teaching, springing from his being. So the 12 have been with Jesus that they might be sent out to preach, to teach, and so on. And we find that Jesus is going to be going on his third tour of ministry. It says, and Jesus went about teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him. You know, he's going to send them out. So we find Jesus in his third tour of ministry. And in this tour, he begins to shift responsibility from their being with him, maybe doing a few things, to where they're going to be sent out to do without him. We find that he called them in chapter 1, 16 through 20. He designated them in chapter 3, 13 through 19. And in chapter 4, 10 through 12, it makes it clear that he taught them. So we have a select group in which they go out as, as his representatives, representing Christ. The theme of this passage is clearly the mission of the twelve. And it's interesting how the structure of the passage appears. We find that the twelve are sent in verses 6 through 13. And then we have in chapter 6 and verses 14 through 19, John the Baptist is martyred. And then in verse 30, we find the return of the 12. 
It's interesting. He sends the 12 out. In the midst of the 12 being sent out, Mark discusses John the Baptist being martyred. My question is, what does John's death mean for discipleship and following Christ today? He sends out the 12. Then Mark writes about John the Baptist's death. And then he talks about the 12 reporting to Jesus. There seems to be a parallel. We'll emphasize that a little more next week. That Mark is emphasizing that those who are called to follow Christ should expect some persecution and difficulty. The 12 are sent out. John the Baptist, his death is recorded, and then they report. They should expect some hardship. The Roman believers to whom Mark is writing were going through hardship. Be an encouragement to them. The 12 were sent. John the Baptist is martyred. And then the 12 report. I think the Roman believers would have got the thrust that we can expect some difficulty also. So when are the events in this passage taking place? They're taking place immediately after Jesus is rejected in his hometown. Because verse, middle verse 6 says, then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Again, he is teaching probably in the, around his hometown, around Nazareth. That is, he's sending the 12 out. He's teaching, then he sends the 12 out. And you'll find that teaching and or preaching have been central to the ministry of Jesus. Sometimes we think of Jesus healing. We think of him casting out demons. But over and over, teaching is mentioned. Healing and casting out demons seem to be secondary. The flow of Jesus' teaching to this point It's mentioned in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, chapter 1 and verse 21, chapter 1 and verse 27, chapter 1, verses 38 and 39, chapter 2 and verse 2, chapter 2 and verse 13, chapter 2, 18 through 22, chapter 2, 23 through 28, chapter 3, 33 through 40, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 4, 10 through 34, and then chapter 6 and verse 2. Teaching, preaching is central to his ministry. And I think it's important that we understand that as being real. So he's going about teaching and preaching. Verse 7, it says, he called the 12 to him. And what does he do? He's going to send them out. So the 12 are being sent. There's little evidence that the Jewish rabbis sent their disciples out. Very little evidence that the Jewish rabbis sent out disciples. This sending seems premature. The record of the 12 is not really that good. In chapter 1, 36 through 39, they wanted to hinder his ministry. Because Jesus wanted to go elsewhere, but they come to him in chapter 1 and say... uh, Everyone is looking for you. He had a successful day of ministry. And the disciples are thinking, people are coming, let's go heal. And Jesus says, no, I need to go elsewhere. 
we find that Jesus became, or they became exasperated with Jesus at times because they didn't understand him. We find, too, that there is a perception of him continues to be marked by misunderstanding. In chapter 8, even after he sends them out, they still didn't get the idea that Jesus is supposed to go to the cross. So here he is sending out men that just didn't seem to get it. Paul reflects on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when he says to the believers in Corinth, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Basically, he's sending out 12 men that most of us would not send out. How does he do it? He sends them out two by two. Two witnesses met the legal requirements for authentic testimony. So, two by two. Provided mutual encouragement and prayer for one another. We need that. Got an email from Ray and Sherry this week, and they were responding to some questions I asked. And in some of the questions I asked Ray and Sherry were, how are you doing spiritually? How can I pray for you? Are you being passionate for God? What struggles are you facing? You know, I want to know. I can't pray unless I know. And he emailed back, but it was very brief, and I thought, boy, he didn't give me very good answers. Well, later on, he emailed another time, about a day later, and he said, this is so you know how to pray for me. And there's a scale. I can't remember the name of the scale, you know, to measure how close you are to going crazy. You know, if there's death and you have a job problem and so on. And if you get to the 300 part, you're about to go crazy. And then he gave some description of missionaries. He said, we're probably about 600. And one of the things that he mentioned was that missionaries struggle with is loneliness. They're in southern Chile. The only two missionaries in southern Chile, you know, husband and wife, so we'll put them as a unit. What would happen if there were another couple with them for mutual prayer and encouragement? Jesus sends out two by two, not one by one. Mutual encouragement. John the Baptist employed the same technique. Two by two. The early early church enjoyed the same technique. They would send out two by two. Now notice what the text says. Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two, gave them authority over evil spirits. Jesus had the authority. They did not have the authority in and of themselves. He did. So he gave them authority. It's a delegated authority over evil spirits. 
The 12 were sent out, not to do a new work, but to continue the work that Jesus begun. And they're not sent to big centers. They go from village to village. And notice the instructions. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except, except a staff. Staff is something that would be profitable for them, helpful for them. No bread. No bag. No money in your belt. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. That is an outer garment. Now think about this. They're being sent off to minister. No bread. No bag, no money. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic or an extra outer garment. How would you respond if those instructions were given to you? What was Jesus doing to the 12? This is a radical calling. It took faith. There had to be total and complete confidence in Christ, not some type of support system. There was none present. James Edwards says, and I quote, true service of Jesus is fired by going where Jesus sends despite material shortfalls and unanswered questions. Like the Israelites fleeing Egypt, the 12 must travel light lest worldly cares blunt the urgency of the message. Like Gideon's troops with their reduced numbers before the battle of Midian, they must go in dependency upon God. Like birds of the air and lilies of the field, they must trust him alone who sends them. Jesus' severe instructions ensure that the 12 seek not their own advancement, but that of the gospel. If they go with an elaborate support system and provisions for every eventuality, then they need not go in faith. And apart from faith, their proclamation is not believable. End of quote. Now think about today. What if Ray and Sherry went off to Chile with no support system? No extra clothing. No extra money. Jesus is sending out in that way, and I'm not saying missionaries should be sent out that way, but just to get a feel for what the 12 are being asked to do. He goes on in giving instructions. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Now, assuming if they enter a house, the people are hospitable, the people are going to provide what they need, they'll give them something to eat, they'll give them a place to stay, and so on. Stay until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. So you go into a town and they won't receive you, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. From what you can find in doing a study of history, you will find that Jews who traveled abroad, when they left a, another country, coming back to their own country, they would shake the dust off their feet because they're coming back to their own country, disassociating themselves from the pollution of those pagan lands. So here Jesus is saying, if someone don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. Now the text makes it very clear that the 12 obeyed. And remember, the 12 includes Judas. 
They went out, preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed many. What's the point of this whole passage? I think the point of the passage is, as one who has a great identity, character, and being, that is Jesus, he called the 12 to be with him, and now he sends them out to preach, to have authority over demons. He has authority. He selected 12 to be with him, and then to send them out. Here he is fulfilling what he intended to do. He sends them out. Now, we can read this passage, we can discuss it, and we can seek to understand it. Let's look at a couple applications. To merely be with someone is not wise or God's design. And last week we talked about their being with Jesus. They must move to action, to doing, to living, to ministry 24-7, to merely learn or merely to be taught is worthless and results in deceit. Jesus never intended the 12 to have their heads filled with knowledge, to merely observe him, to merely be with him. His intent all along was to send them out to interact with others. Now, please ponder this and consider its applications in parenting. We basically can approach parenting in one of two ways. We can fill our children with all kinds of knowledge. This is how you do this. This is what you need to know. We can bombard them, and then we get it, they get 18. We turn them loose and let them go, and hopefully they'll do well. Or we can teach them, we can train them, and in the process, when they move into their 8, 9, and 10, and into the teen years, we have taught, but we start to release them to do things. They've been with, they've been taught, but before you actually let them go totally and they go off to college or whatever, you have observed them in action. You can help teach and train. Jesus sends the 12 out. They haven't arrived. Everything's not perfected. As we'll find in, later on in chapter 6 and chapter 7, they still have issues. But yet he sends them. Many times, we learn by doing. Yesterday, I was helping Danny a little. And the one time I pulled up, I thought, oh, the bobcat's running, but Danny's over here. I wonder who's running the bobcat. <coughs> JT. You say, was someone in there with him? No. Running it himself. You say, he's pretty young to be running a bobcat himself, isn't he? I'm making an assumption that Danny would have taught him, showed him how, and slowly gave him some liberty and finally said, go with it. 
God never designed us as parents to teach and to teach and to teach and all of a sudden say, now go. We teach, we give opportunity to apply. We teach, we give opportunity to apply. And that becomes a process in time. The same with grandparenting. Grandparenting, are grandparents to spoil? I think as we study scripture, they should come alongside parents and help to teach and train so that as kids grow, they can be sent out to live well. But think about grandparenting, that you may teach your grandchildren something, but then you let them do. How about a job? You're an owner of a business. Any business owner that thinks he or she has to do everything and be alongside someone that's doing it won't have a business. You in time, you teach, you train, and then you trust them, and you let them do on their own. How about developing church leaders through current leaders, whether it be Awana, teens, VBS, Sunday school, whatever? Doing something together. So a Sunday school teacher takes someone and brings them alongside and spends time with them. They teach, they interact, they talk, and then the teacher finally says, I'm going to step back. You're teaching next week. See, that seems to be Christ's design. The same thing with men and women. Men helping men, women helping women. Men helping teenagers. Women helping teenage gals how to live, and then giving them opportunity to respond and to live. How about husbands and wives? Husbands with husbands. So a husband, one husband says to another husband, an older husband says to a younger husband, I observed you last Sunday morning relating to your wife. I saw some irritation coming through in your voice. It wasn't real obvious, but I picked up on it. And the reason I picked up on it is because I've been there myself sometimes. Now, let me give you some guidance and what you do when that irritation comes. And you're tempted to respond in an irritating way to your wife. You give some input. You say, go to it, buddy. Really love your wife today. And the guy observes the man, younger guy, sometime later, and sees a difference in him and comes alongside him and says, that was good. See, you're not merely filling the head. You're trying to help him to apply. I freely admit this, that when I get married, I was a dumb husband. I'm talking about being a husband. I can get good grades in school. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just ability to be a husband. I was taught a few things. But in some areas, if an older man would have come alongside me and just said, Dan, you're being a jerk and how you responded to your wife there. Here's how you do it. See, that's what we're talking about, being with and helping to grow and mature. And the same thing being true of wives. 
And parents, we already covered that, so that wouldn't be applicable. Now think about the whole issue of with. They're with Jesus. They're sent out. And think about that. In living today, we can be with people, whether it be parenting, whether it be in other settings, but that's not enough. Send them out. I'm going to close with an example, and I give my credit to my dad and my mom for this. My parents decided they wanted to go to California and take my younger brother and younger sister with them. My older brother was already married. My next older brother was working away from home. So that meant that Dan was left to take care of the farm. They were going to be gone for at least three weeks. Didn't have cell phones as we have today. Didn't have texting as we have today. Didn't have emails we have today. Dad left, and not once did he call back to make sure I was handling everything okay. Getting ready to go, ready to go out the driveway. You know, Mom's all worried, you know, how's Dan going to make out? Dad says, I'm, we're going. He'll do fine. If he runs into a problem, he'll have to figure out how to solve it. I wasn't 22. I wasn't even 18. But I'd been with dad enough that he would entrust the farm to me. I learned a lot by doing. I couldn't call dad because he didn't have a cell phone. I didn't know where he was. Say, dad, what do I do? I could ask my brothers, maybe. Teaching and then letting us do. Christ was with, and then he turned them loose, so to speak. Live that out today in your life. You're with people, but then step back and let them do so that they learn. Think about how this applies to your life. Let's pray together.